Brian Foster, and this is the Grindhouse Institute. On each episode of this podcast, Jeremy Floyd and I program a triple feature movie night. Each of the movies share common themes and we discuss them here. We're happy you could join us for today's episode entitled Christmas Noir Part 2. While most think of cookies, presents, and snowball fights during the holiday season, we here at the Grindhouse prefer to get in the Christmas spirit with danger, dames, and decapitations. This year, we're going back to our roots and observing the old holiday tradition of watching Christmas-themed film noirs. Shortly after solving a high-stakes insurance case, Honest Joe Peters meets a mysterious woman with a taste for the finer things in life. Joe's measly $350 a month won't impress her, so he makes a deal with a crook to make some extra dough and win the girl. Charles McGraw tries to pull off a caper that would be a Christmas miracle with Joan Dixon and Lowell Gilmore in Harold Daniels' 1951 film, Roadblock. Frankie Babyface Bono is brought to town to whack a mid-level boss of a rival gang. During his trip, he encounters a fellow orphan, a past love interest, a sweaty gun dealer, and a glimpse of the life he could have whenever he hangs up his gun. It's a nice plan, but what happens when he actually tries to carry it out? Molly McCarthy and Larry Tucker star alongside Alan Barron, who also directed 1961's Blast of Silence. When a square fish-collecting Toronto bank teller uncovers a plot by a gun-toting Santa Claus to rob the joint, he does what any honest employee would do. Steal as much money as he can and pin it on old Saint Nick. But what happens if Santa doesn't get arrested? And how far will he go to get the money back? Elliot Gould, Christopher Plummer, and Susanna York find out in Daryl Duke's 1978 film, The Silent Partner. Thank you for listening to the Grindhouse Institute. Please enjoy. Don't you know you can get into trouble forcing your way into people's homes? You fellas have more nerve than real cops. Thanks. Celebration? Pre-Christmas for two and private. Kenny, darling, I wanted you to be the first to see. How do you like it? They're insurance investigators. Better show them the sales slip for your coat. I think they think I stole it. This will change their mind. It's a nice coat, miss. It sure is, mister. Doesn't take much to make a girl happy, does it? Not much. Time to kill. 24 hours to stay faceless in the crowd. Get yourself lost in the city. Lose yourself in the Christmas spirit with the rest of the suckers. This afternoon, shortly after one o'clock, the First Bank of Toronto at the Eaton hey, Center was held telephone. up by a fat, bearded man in a red suit, Santa Claus. As he was making his getaway, sudden gunfire erupted, and the bogus Santa Claus shot it out with the bank's security guard, Frank Johnson. Where's Mr. Webb tonight? Gone up to Las Vegas this afternoon to be with his family. Seems like most everybody goes home for Christmas Eve. Seems like. I've been watching the clock all evening. Can't wait to get home and decorate the tree. And those two kids of mine. Will they be goggle-eyed when they go downstairs in the morning? I'm telling you, there's nothing like kids at Christmas time. You'll find out when you have a couple of your own. Merry Christmas. Welcome back to the Grindhouse Institute. I'm Brian Foster, and with me, as always, is Jeremy Floyd. Hello, and how are you? Uh, it's a pretty good intro for a chiseler. <laughs> <laughs> On today's show, we're celebrating the holiday season, uh, just like we always do, um, or at least have been for a while now. I think this is our second Christmas noir. Uh, yeah. We're here to discuss three Christ- Christmas film noirs, 
And we're talking Roadblock from 1951, Blast of Silence from 1961, and The Silent Partner from 1978. And with us to discuss these really awesome films, uh, this is a great block, um, we've got our film noir subject matter expert, Alex Vlaho. How are you? Hey, I'm doing good. Thank you so much for having me back. Yeah. I, I love this block as well. I thought yeah. this was a great block of films. Yeah, I, I didn't look at my text messages for a while and then got to my phone and there was about 80 of them between you guys <laughs> trying to figure out what this block was. And finally I was like, all right, looks like we got it. Um, yeah. Great choices, gentlemen. Thin Man would have been a good one. I, I was trying to cheat by putting Thin Man in there. But I think the replacement of Roadblock was was a much better suggestion. The Thin Man was turned down because it was too slapsticky. Is that what the uh, discussion was? I think it was just so that we had one good old fashioned noir. Yeah, that that fits right in between you know forty one and fifty eight, which is right the, those parameters. Mostly what people kind of consider as the era for film noir, and then mm. after that it becomes neo self aware and it becomes you know neo noir mm. type of thing and then before that it's like you know stuff that was written by writers from the pulps that mm-hmm. were made into movies and it was sort of way after the fact kind of considered noir kind of but it's kind of pre-noir thin man i was that was that pre-code i don't think so it was like 34 maybe so yeah it's 34 um and yeah i, yeah. I think these are three great films that were chosen uh really oh. happy that we landed on uh roadblock Blast of Silence, which is like wow. considered the ultimate one. So good, right? It's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. a special, it's a very, very special film um, that seemed to be like quickly reclaimed, like in the, even in like the, the late 80s, early 90s. Um, and then The Silent Partner, another film with silence in the title. So. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, we were back to our Toronto thrillers uh, episode with that one, felt like. <laughs> exactly. uh, with the great cameo by John Candy. I was blown <laughs> away by that. Blonde-haired, like young John Candy. <laughs> kind of a player, too. I loved his, his yeah. character. <laughs> he must have been a local. He had some game. Yeah. He must have been a Toronto guy, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. well, that one almost made our, our block for the Toronto list, uh, but got vetoed by our Toronto local who wanted to uh, have us check out a different one that was uh, near and dear to his heart, um, Stone Cold Dead. Oh, I don't know that one. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's it's Richard uh, Crenna. It's good. Yeah. Oh, nice, nice. It's, it's a little obscure, and it was part of kind of a tax sheltered era, and a little bit of uh, giallo uh, vibes to it, and mm-hmm. all, all kinds of fun stuff. I mean, I'd argue that that so did uh, Silent Partner. It had a, a little uh, bit of yes, giallo yes, in there, yeah, especially especially toward the end. Oh yeah, gentlemen, is this the third Christmas noir episode? I thought it was number three. I, I could this be is wrong. number two. This is number two? Okay. Um, but yeah, but it is uh, returning us back to our roots. Christmas Noir was the first episode we had you on. Oh, uh, yes, and, you're uh, right. Yeah, yeah, and unfortunately, yeah. this is the last <laughs> one. We've decided to bookend with your first and last episode. <laughs> well, I will show myself out. Thank you so much for having me back. It's been a great time. You got the hook. <laughs> yeah. Get the hook. Yeah, yeah. The Sandman's going to come dancing on. Exactly. <laughs> like at the Apollo, which is in uh, Blast of Silence, because it's all over the hey, Harlem area. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Well, what, what I really love about this pairing, uh, as it turns out, you know, we got three movies where the city itself becomes a big character and, and has something that it feels like it couldn't take place elsewhere. And even though we're in three different, very different cities, it's, you know, 
Los Angeles in the 50s, uh, New York in the 60s, and uh, Toronto in the 70s. Um, oh, I hadn't realized that it broke down so neatly like that. That's yeah. A point. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and then on, on top of that, what was so interesting about all of them all together here is that they all had this like sort of doomed romance uh, mm. at the heart of it uh, mm-hmm. for, for our protagonist there. Well, they all have a similar theme of a regular guy making bad choices. Just an honest Joe. Yeah, yeah. Bad... Uh, Roadblock, especially. Yeah, de- yeah, definitely silent partner in Roadblock. I mean, Blast of Silence, he's a hitman. <laughs> I mean, yeah. maybe he fell into it like Barry, uh, yeah. the, yeah, the show exactly. Barry. Yeah, I think that from the beginning, he's kind of screwed in Blast of Silence. Also, yeah. he seems to be kind of have some anger problems. Um, yeah. But again, he's also kind of trapped in this. He did agree to this last job, you know? Right. So, like, there is this sense of, like, he is a bit less of the common man, but these are doomed yeah. protagonists, like, caught in something. And definitely in over their head in each of them. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah definitely. And I mean, that's definitely roadblock, right? A person that's working as an insurance investigator making a measly yeah. 350 a week. <laughs> a month. When you look in the mirror, what do you tell yourself you want? You. I want you so bad. I can't think straight. You're what I want for Christmas. And I want you, Joe. But not as an insurance cop making 350 a month. Oh, 350 a month, sorry. Yeah. 350 a month, yeah. What, yeah. What, these insurance investigator guys. Um, in our first block that we ever did, one of the noirs we did... Yeah, um, cover-up. Uh, is Cover-up. The insurance investigator... Again, I just wonder, like, in these old films... Insurance investigators seem to have the same rights as like early FBI. Like they can just go in and rough yeah. people up. And, like, yeah, exactly. Like, I don't know if that's how that job worked, you know. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. it's in all of these old noirs, you know. But, but it makes it more exciting. Yeah, I, it, it it's funny because I, I I bet this is all you know cover up roadblock. I, I feel like all of them kind of owe a debt to uh, James M. Kane. You know, it's double indemnity. Essentially, uh, the insurance investigator. You know, as a trope it's like you got uh either a detective like a cop or a private detective like you know philip marlowe or you've got this insurance investigator and they kind of went the insurance investigator route on roadblock yeah uh they did i love that they're forced to share the hotel room together uh i think God, joan dixon, that was great joan dixon in this didn't have like a crazy long career she is so good Yes. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, I think e- even before that, which is great, I love that setup and everything. Um, even before that, we see we're introduced to Charles McGraw as him gunning down a guy, it, 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 and then like taking another guy hostage, and you're just like, holy shit, where is this going? And uh, as it turns out, it was just a sting to get the guy yeah. to like you know show him where the money was. Oh yeah, pretty I elaborate love that. plan, right? Like, it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> But Very it was awesome because it was like, what it does, it's really interesting is, from a story perspective is great, is that he, they show him uh, as a criminal at first. Right. And that's yeah. the first impression you have. Of right. Him. Yeah. And and then it's like, oh, he's honest Joe. He's honest Joe. He <laughs> makes 350 a month. He can't possibly do this and do that. He's honest. He's honest. And then like, he's like, you know what? I've got a great plan to be a criminal. And like, then, you know, takes that all the way down the line. You know, you're so right. That's such an interesting opening where yeah. the, the he's he's already playing a criminal, basically, and you watch him 
essentially Breaking Bad through it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> right. His partner, Louis Jean Haight. I just want to call out this actor because his Wikipedia page. I actually think this guy's really good. The guy yeah, that plays. He's, good. Um, the, he's the one that kind of cottons on to him at the end and has sure. the, the, yeah. the dinner with him. Uh, his Wikipedia, the first line is, uh, Louis Jean Haight was an American character actor in film, television, and theater, most frequently seen in hapless, ineffectual, or fall guy roles. <laughs> I just, imagine like your entire career like, as an actor, and then your Wikipedia, the first line is, most famous for playing cucks. You know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's just such a funny first line for your entire life to be, you know, hapless characters. Uh, yeah, but I think he's really good in the film, his, his partner, so... Totally. Uh, but, but then, you know, we get uh, Charles McGraw flying out in an airport and he sees this beautiful woman across the room. You know, she notices him and there's like sparks flying. And then she runs away when he, he goes to talk to her. But then she goes and like, he's like, hey, uh, <laughs> l- let me get a ticket. Uh, I'm this guy's wife and uh, it's a discount fare, right? And yeah. then she like waves at him. He waves back, and the the clerk's like, "Okay." And she pulled you know, the sea bass <laughs> thing. Like, if that isn't sea bass over there, is going to pay for our meal, <laughs> right? Right? You're you know, so like, right? Yeah. She, she totally did. Yeah, she saw that in a movie once, right? Yeah. Find a happy place when she gets yeah. caught. <laughs> yeah, no, she she uses him for the reduced fare. Yeah, and he calls her sister, and she says, "Until we land, I'm your wife." Yeah, it's just the exactly. dialogue. Like sister. Yeah, I re- it's very, very snappy. Like, Does that make you a chisla? You must have an angle. What is it? I simply wanted to get to the coast and didn't have enough money to get there, except by bus. I happen to be a girl who likes to travel first cabin, so I. So you moved in on me. Does that make me poison? I don't like chislers. Look, Mister. Just because I was smart enough to promote a plane ticket half fare, I'm a chisler. My league, you are. <laughs> Do you know how Charles McGraw died? Uh, no. <laughs> he slipped in his bathroom and he fell uh, through the glass of his shower door. What? Oh, Jesus. What a way. If you need a new thing to be horrified of. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. Wait, nice. so was Christopher Plummer there uh, to throw him through the shower door? <laughs> I was about to say, yeah, there's a, there's a very weird connection to Silent Partner in terms of like <laughs> exactly. jagged exposed glass from like an aquatic tank. Yeah, exactly. Death. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, nothing like making your head into fish food, right? He's like, Charles McGraw, you and I are going all the way down the line as he's like yeah. tapping his face with his long fingernails. Yeah, no, that, that's a bummer. I mean, yeah, I, I feel like I knew Charles McGraw from, I mean, he's, obviously character actor he's great in like uh blood on the moon and um i love blood on the moon yeah that is a fantastic western noir yeah uh yeah he pops up in a lot some of the rko show uh films yeah yeah he's in quite a bit um the killers too oh killers that's what it was that was the one i, was, I couldn't think the of the one earlier. that's behind you the one that's right behind me no, this is the the oh. don siegel killers but uh, the oh. other killers is that the one with reagan the one behind yep, you yep with uh ronald reagan <laughs> and our good friend um uh Lee Marvin, Andy Lee Marvin. Dickinson. Yeah. Clue Gulliger. Andrew Dickinson, yes. Oh, that's right. She is in yeah. that too, because I, I always think of her in um, the other one with him. Point Blake, I think. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, I also, okay. So uh, when they're staying together, people forced into a situation that yeah. would not normally be together is always, I know this sounds really naive, but that's like my favorite storytelling Absolutely. tactic. You know? I was just thinking that like while I was watching, I was like, there's such an awesome like uh wish fulfillment uh up mm. on the big screen type of like fantasy don't you wish you could meet somebody like this right. type of thing uh in this scenario and have right. this scenario like have to play out this way 
I'll, I'll match you for the bed. I'll match you for the, the blanket or whatever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're like flipping coins. Yeah. Yeah. That joke extends to their very last moments. Even right. Even when right. he's like dying in the L.A. riverbed. Uh, by the way, the first film, I think, to like film there before before Greece. Before I wondered that. Rebel of Terminator Arcos, 2. And yeah. Before Terminator, Terminator 2. 2. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So many films. Um, he asks, haven't you left for Texas yet? And she says, I'll match you to see whether I stay. Right. It's like right. even when he's dying, they're still keeping up that very wry, hard-boiled, snappy dialogue. No, you're right. The, the dialogue was, was really crackling in this one. No, I think you're on the level. Don't worry, I'm on the level. You know, it took a reform school and several jails to build my character. You, you've probably been on the square all your life. Now suddenly you decide to steal. Just goes to show you, you can't trust anybody. Look, you want to make a speech or a deal? I, I, I felt for Joe, though, you know? Like, I, he was an honest guy, honest Joe. Honest Joe? Joe? Yeah. And then because he was so uh, interested um, in this Diane, yeah. you know, he, he definitely turned to this life of crime and thought he could get away with it, but it just didn't work out for him very well. Um, <laughs> it did but he, not. he almost did it, you know? It's like, I, I like that storytelling when they're just like, wow, this guy's an expert. He's actually on the investigation side. At one right. point, he has to investigate his own crime that actually ends up turning into a murder, um, you know, over time when one of the people with injuries actually ends up dying. And then it turns into real serious shit, and then your your own partner is the one that calls you on it over a nice steak dinner. Yeah, yeah, pretty well, rough. And only because he it's his cabin, and he just put a new fire extinguisher up there. Which, by the way, hiding the money in a fire extinguisher a very uh, fun, strange choice for a film from nineteen fifty one. Yeah, um, but that's the only slip up. And if he didn't right. put that together, he, it's actually a pretty good plan that they came up with. Yeah, uh, yeah. His, his other slip up apparently was that he knew that there were five people in the plane. He's like, oh, that's how you got five people in there? Oh, that's right. There was another thing, yeah. But the confirmation, yeah. It, it is one of those things where, like, that confrontation, I really wish uh, had another beat to it because it, it, it happened lickety-split. He just like, yeah, I confess. Uh, that's fine. I did it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Those are the, the, the two most, like, <laughs> classic cinematic tropey yeah, slip-ups yeah, exactly. like that are uh, someone knowing information and slipping it that they – knowing info that they shouldn't right, and slipping right. it. Yeah. So that's what this movie does. The other classic one, probably most famously in Vertigo, is uh, an artifact from the lie or from the scheme cluing you in. Because when James Stewart sees right. that she's wearing You're the same necklace pupil. at the end. You're very a pupil. Right, right, right. He's like dragging her to the uh, mission <laughs> at the end. Yeah, uh, something like a, almost like the penny in uh, Somewhere in Time in the pocket, like, right. like a talisman. Um, right, right. Anyways, um... Uh, did you guys notice that the gangster boyfriend that she has, his Christmas tree, was like massive and goes to the ceiling? Yeah, <laughs> like through the ceiling, like Christmas story. Right. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. right. Clark and then Griswold. When we see, yeah. uh, Charles McGraws. It's yeah. just like it's a Charlie Brown little. tree. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thought you needed yeah. to celebrate the holidays. <laughs> uh, this movie uses like Christmas. I didn't realize it until seeing it again this time. Um, that's really good storytelling, right? Like how different people celebrate Christmas, and that mm-hmm. is like how they display their wealth and their status like yeah, yeah. And this whole movie is about him trying to like uh, ladder climb you know away from right. his, like 350 a month job so uh I, I think it uses christmas very well especially when she's alone with the bartender i was just about to say exactly, exactly. that's the best scene that's yeah. so she like get throws the drink at him i think well because you know he he's like oh, i can't wait to get home to my kids like, you're gonna have kids one day and you know you have a whole family and <laughs> da, 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 da. And, and you know she's already feeling really shitty about you know being alone at christmas and yeah. you know you know 
drinking by herself in this like you know, bar that's closing down, and uh, yeah, she, she gives him the business. Uh, but yeah, it, exactly like that whole aspect of it, like Christmas uh, ends up being the catalyst that sends Joe down this path. I mean, it's like you know, it it gives the Diane uh, character that extra push to kind of push Joe and her together, and then it gives Joe the motivation to you know come up with the perfect plan. Almost perfect. Did you guys get a kick out of um, Kendall? His name is Kendall Webb. Was the the main uh, villain? Yeah. Did you get a kick out of his shoe store front when yes. uh, they just <laughs> had the store? It was like all empty boxes in there. Yeah, and everyone that would walk in, we don't have your size. It's like it's as they're like walk walking out. through the door, it's like pushes them back out. It's like we don't ding, have your ding. size. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> what do you want? A pair of shoes. We don't have your size. Five and a half? I said we don't have your size. There's also this interesting social element. Um, she's basically saying, like, I tried having a job. And <laughs> yeah. uh, what did she say? Like, men weren't interested in her working ability. Um, uh, she's basically, uh-huh. I, I, it sounds like she's hit on every job she does. There's, like, a crooked social yeah. thing. So, like, you know, it, she isn't just, like, I'm, <laughs> like, so many of these films, like, I'm, an, I'm a woman and I'm evil. Uh, there's like actually something going on here. She's like, no, I tried and I'm able to like live the life I want by living like this versus being honest. That's the thing though. It's like the impression most people have of, you know, femme fatales and whatever in film yeah. noir is that they're just these Machiavellian evil yeah. creatures who can't be reasoned with or whatever. But oftentimes what it actually is, is a, a woman trying to navigate this impossible world uh, as illustrated with the Diane character here, where she's unable to actually work and have uh, any sort of dignity or respect, uh, and so what she does is you know kind of social climb or you know date these people like these gangsters, and uh, you know didn't expect to fall in love along the way. Yeah, with Honest exactly. Joe. I mean, and also I think like be like attracted, like actually attracted to him, yeah. which made her completely change her tune on her. Yeah, climbing the uh, into a new status of riches, you know, like she's like, I don't even want that anymore. Um, right, right. But Joe is too far deep, I think. I, I think that there's when they first kiss, when he, he mentioned Saturday nights, it's like raining really hard behind them. Mm-hmm. And I always try to pay attention in old films when like water is an element, because so often, like if like the crashing waves are behind that, you know, characters during a kiss... That's like a metaphor for the lust and the intense passion and the sexual energy. So uh-huh. instead of the ocean here, it's the rain and the downpour. I mean, you know, you could even make whatever lazy metaphor, soft Warwick joke about being it being a very wet atmosphere. There's something yeah. about them first kissing in a, like on a stormy night that right. I think to audiences at the time communicates uh, they're very horny. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Other kinds of wet. Uh, what, what the hell is the name of that movie? Um Montgomery Cliff and um, and oh, a place uh, in Elizabeth the sun. Taylor. Place in the Sun mm-hmm. had that yeah. with... Well, they were um, on the water, right, most of the time? Well, I, I was actually thinking of the scene with Shelley Winters where uh, Montgomery Cliff and Shelley Winters first get together and it's that really raining hard night, which is, you know, another film oh, that we did. Oh, the radio but, uh, shot. That's such a good shot. I th- we, we covered that film, right? Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we yeah. did that one for summer. one of the summer noirs. Right. Mm-hmm. Maybe the first yeah. summer noir, right? I think so. That movie's so good. It famously lost Best Picture to something 
Oh, American in Paris. <laughs> oh, really? Which is, I mean, a, a beautiful film, but like, if you sure. go back, it's like, why did, how did, how could that movie have lost this picture? <laughs> it lost to like a crazy expensive Gene Kelly musical. So, yeah. Right, right. Uh, you know, they, they don't always get it right. Let's, uh, yeah. Hey, Green Book, you know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Nicholas Musaraka is the DP on this film. Just oh, yeah. Call that out. Uh, he does a lot of uh, famous noirs. Did a bunch of Val Luton stuff, right? Jeez. I feel like he did one that we watched just recently, too, right? Split Second. He did Split Second. Split Second, yes. Yeah. Yes, he did a lot of these RKO titles. Mm-hmm. Um, did you guys notice that there's this one really funny part where he keeps calling bad guys babies, Charles <laughs> McGraw? He says, I'll make this baby sing loud and clear. Yeah. And then, the other, and then right after that, he goes, that's the only way to handle these babies. I'm telling you. He just he loves calling <laughs> bad guys babies. <laughs> Exactly. It infantilizes them. Makes yeah, them totally. uh, less of a threat. <laughs> um, so, sp- speaking of, like, uh, connections to previous episodes we've done, we talked about how this one has kind of a connection to cover-up with the insurance investigator story, which is one of the other Christmas noirs that we did a couple years ago. But in that same block, we also watched another Christmas noir, and uh, that kind of tied in in, a, in an interesting way, because when... Uh, Diane gets caught pretending to be Joe's wife on the plane. The The line he gives to uh, explain why he's so upset is that, uh, you know, because she's like, hey, listen, you, it didn't cost you a dime. What, what's the big deal? And he's like, yeah, but you played me for a soft touch. You played me for a soft touch. Why? What soft touch? This isn't costing you a dime. Hey, Mr. Soft Touch. Mr. Soft Touch. Yeah, so right. that was one of the ones we had in our first Christmas. Mr. Tomorrow. Soft Touch. Yeah, very yeah. nice. <laughs> Hell yeah, love that. Yeah, that's that's great. Uh, yeah, I mean, th- this film was so much better than I remembered it going back and revisiting it. It's fantastic. Um, yeah, I'm glad you think so, man. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it's not like a very violent film per se. Like, I think that like the only yeah. two deaths that happen, one's the postal worker off screen. And mm-hmm. then there's the Charles McGraw at the end. Um, but that race on uh, the L.A. Riverbed, um, yeah. which had only been covered, I think, in the, the decade previous from a giant flood. Um, you guys know that, right? That's why the L.A. River is covered in cement. There was some like horrible flood that killed a lot of people. Yeah. So uh, the Army Corps of Engineers was like, well, we're just going to pave over it. Didn't, didn't it take <laughs> out like an entire neighborhood of people? Like that's I how, think so. Yeah. It's just yeah, yeah, awful. Yeah. 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 I don't think that they would do that now. Just pave over a river. Um, but <laughs> Seems like a yeah. There's an interesting historical uh, portrait of L.A. That this book called uh, "Bright and Guilty Place," mm. and that incident you're talking about is the opening of that book, where it's like mm. the flood, you know, that, that destroys this whole area. Gotcha. And and yeah, I mean, I was really impressed. This is 1951. I was really impressed. So first of all. It seems like, and it probably was one of the first movies to have a chase down in the old uh, L.A. riverbed. But I was really impressed with how exciting and sort of thrilling and, you know, uh, fast and, you know, kind yeah. of scary it was in this yeah. one. You know, like, I was really, like, thinking at one point they were going to, like, slide up the side of it, you know, kind of, like, really, uh, you know, shred, like like a, like a skateboard up the side of the, the, yeah. the, the wall. They didn't quite go there, but it, they were doing some, some crazy stuff, uh, especially considering it's 1951. 
Oh yeah, you could track on a map some of their driving. Like they're right by Elysian Park. At one point, uh-huh. yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, books it onto Riverside coming off Elm Grove. I'm like, oh, that's like 11 minutes from my apartment. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and then you know the LA River runs right next to five near me, so I yeah. see it all the time. Um, but I didn't quite realize just until I went to Frogtown a couple weeks ago um, uh, how many patches of the LA River there are of uh like forestry like in drive when you know uh, yeah. he, he takes them to that little section of the la river there are full-on like trees and little growth sections right. that have now formed uh it's a very strange uh, feature of la yeah it, it, it's almost like the uh yeah the, the earth is rebelling against this paved over thing that they they did there i and what i um also really really appreciate this movie is that like it really feels like charles mcgraw like there's another version of this movie where he doesn't commit the crimes and he stays the straight and narrow the whole time and he's trying to be that voice of reason for diane and like you just got to give up your greed you dumb broad and like (laughs) you know that version of the movie is not as satisfying but like this one like at one point he was sitting there like taking notes on like a train shipment or whatever and i was like oh shit and I had the thought that, like, man, it would be so awesome if he decides to rob this train and then pin it on the on the gangster. He didn't quite do the pin it on the gangster thing, but, you know, it was uh, it was pretty damn close. And I was, I was really satisfied that they kind of took it there when they very easily could have gone that sort of, like, very, I don't know, safe and, you know, boring route of him just being the voice of reason uh you know got to play by the rules and you'll stay ahead and da 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 um but they actually had him kind of uh dive into the deep end of the dark side because that is kind of how the silent partner uh ended up he pinned it on the criminal but he was you know taking along we'll get there but i mean that's kind of the the route that that one took yeah you're right totally totally you're totally right yeah yeah well are you guys ready to blast into some silence oh yeah uh, oh the last thing i wanted to say um uh where do you guys think north creek is supposed to be it's like a mountain yeah, town right like is it like Idlewild? maybe like big bear uh that's is that where the the agents were going to to do their hunting or to do their uh chilling yeah, that, out that was their cabin yeah yeah is yeah. it mammoth or yeah. i like that they were they kept like fucking with the general manager to get freebies out of him like well we're gonna need you know something to go fishing you know yeah. okay fine <laughs> we're gonna need a couple days off fine take it yes yes take a week and then they get that call sorry buddies yeah, yeah we're gonna need you back on yeah uh big I just, case i love the miniature train set uh kind of causing anxiety as yeah the plan foreshadowing right like yes yes and a good way to save money yeah because you know that we see what he's thinking about we don't have to show the robbery i mean what's a great elegant solution though if you don't have the budget to just kind of allude to things you know 100 percent um and i just wanted to call out the line because it's so this is the christmas noir episode uh there's this exchange what do you tell yourself you want and then he says you i want you so bad i can't think straight uh, you're what I want for Christmas, the day after the 4th of July, Saturday nights, <laughs> all the days there are. Saturday yeah. nights especially. Uh, and then there's a line like, who gets cold on a honeymoon later on? There's lots of like bedroom innuendo in this film. Right, um, right, just right. Wanna, just want to point it out, just because it's very noir. Yeah, yeah no, this one really... I, well, actually, all of them had some pretty fantastic lines, but this one uh, didn't come up short on that front. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, 
thank you guys for watching this film. I uh, I I love it. Rewatching re it made me uh, appreciate it even more. It might become like a regular Christmas uh, rewatch for me. Oh, totally. I and for sure. I I have to say I thank you for recommending it. I you recommended it a couple years ago, maybe even on the last Christmas noir episode, and I couldn't find it anywhere, so I just bought the DVD cool. and ended up watching it for this finally I, I didn't watch it until till now but i watched it on Criter this one was on criterion right this is the one yeah, that, uh, yeah. This, it, it is right now exactly but, that collection uh, is fantastic it's really good uh we could have yeah. picked any one of those from that list i think totally. my favorite one of those that i it was a new discovery for me i think it's you know all of them except for i wouldn't be in your shoes which is mm -hmm. about a guy whose dancing shoes are found at the scene of a murder which is the funniest? <laughs> it sounds awesome. like it. It sounds like an old musical. It's like what yeah. they found my dancing shoes. Like it's, uh, it's a great collection. A great collection. Yeah, yeah I kind of wanted to dive deeper into that one. You were born with hate and anger built in. Took a slap in the backside to blast out the scream, and then you knew you were alive. Eight pounds, five ounces. Baby boy, Frankie Bono. Later, you learn to hold back the screen and let out the hate and anger another way. Um, but yeah, if you were trying to inch things over to Blast of Silence, I would more than happy to talk about that. I mean, that's like the godfather of this genre of Christmas I mean, noir. it's so great. Yeah. Uh, there's... It's got this swinging 60s score to it, you know, that's just, uh, it's really a sign of the times, I think, when it was made. It feels yeah. great. Uh, it really feels 60s. Beautiful. Uh, um, yeah, this was my, jazz, yeah. I'm already going to give you my favorite of the three, and that's that's this one. That's Blast of <laughs> Silence. Um, wow. This was fantastic, yeah. I'm glad you liked it, man. This is this is a, a pretty amazing film, pretty singular. Oh. Well, I mean, it's kind of, it's a day in the life of a hitman, right? Or, you know, a, a month in the life of a hitman. But, I mean, it's just kind of very straightforward. There's, It's not really, you know, trying to trick you yeah. or anything. It's just a, a hitman that wants to go straight at some point or, you yeah. know, make this his life. Because what, what I love about this one so much is that we're, we're introduced to this guy. He's a hitman, right? And he's working for the mob. You never see the mob. You never see who he's talking to until you see the two guys at the end. But they're still like nondescript gangsters, right? They're just there uh -huh. to kill him or whatever. But right, um, you just meet this yeah, guy. Just a voice on the phone. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. There's no real like boss. It's just some. He just gets this. You know these assignments. Um, but the people he meets along the way. I mean, obviously, there's that real disgusting uh, person that he meets that he's, uh, I think he's trying to buy the gun from him. He's the gun dealer. Yeah. Um, real creepo. Very taxi driver, right? It's like that yeah, guy. It, this, I was going to say, this felt like a precursor to taxi driver. Um, and yeah. it also had like a the raging bull feel to it, um, just the way that it was both shot and the way that it was paced yeah. and things. Um, right. But what I loved about this one is that you see this guy, he's a hitman, but you also see the other paths in life that he had the potential to take because he's from this orphanage, yeah. gets linked yep. up with another one of the orphans, you know, later in life. And he's like, ah, you got to have a drink with me. I haven't seen you in 20 years or whatever. You know, what, right. what's up with you? Well, you know, I'm making more than 350 a week, a month, you know, like this guy's had a, has a good life. He's got kids. He's got a family. He's like, oh, yeah. How, what about you? Uh, nothing. Uh, he had nothing. I don't want to talk. Let's, let's, let's go in a separate way. Exactly. Yeah. But it was cool that he got to see like visions of what he could have done and could have been. And that kind of brings him into this mode of. This is my last job. I don't even want to finish this job. And then the mob's like, no, you've signed a contract. Yeah. You're going to finish this, and then we're going to finish you. You know. You saying that makes me realize, I didn't put this together, but that is actually very 
uh, savvy on behalf of the filmmaker, just because um, it shows that like going through the orphanage, the, the system of uh, you know foster the foster care system. Um, not everyone's going to turn out the like Brian this Foster guy. Care. Yeah, the, yeah. I, not, not everyone's going to turn out like this Foster. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's his problem. Uh, if only. Did, did you guys see the killer? By the way, the David Fincher film. Not yet. Mm-hmm. Not yet. Uh, it's. It looks great. It's amazing. And this film, I was watching this like, oh, right. so this would pair really well with the killer. Right. That's what I was thinking because that's a oh, cool. uh, just a look at a, a serial killer or a hitman. Sorry, a, a contract a killer. And it's, yeah. and it's all uh, voiceover narration from his point of view. And oh. like the killer, there's very rarely any scenes. I don't think there's any scenes without our main man. You know, um, the killer has a very brief moment when, like, you see, a, like, a, a, essentially a victim left alone. But there's not, this film doesn't even have that. Every single scene is with him, mm-hmm. and you hear that voice that's also very clearly not him. Uh, they chose. It's interesting that they chose a completely right. different voice than him. Um, that was a blacklisted yeah. actor, Lionel Stander. Um, right. Uh, uncredited. Uh, well, yeah. th- that's what's so interesting. So I, it's like when you're first starting off the movie. You know, we're in that black screen with a tiny little dot at, at tunnel the center. Coming, oh, it's man, like a birth. So good. It's, it's a birth. It's, it's exactly a birth like a birth. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a birth, and, the, and then like the the, the dialogue. I thought it was also you know, passing to the other side. Talks about him, yeah. you know, being born or whatever, and, yeah. and it, it kind of like it, they really uh, tie those things together. Um, you know, the writing in the voiceover is so interesting, and like the voiceover is so gruff and so filled yeah. with colorful language and you know, metaphors and all these beautiful ways of expressing himself. But what's interesting is, like, when you hear Frank, the protagonist, speak, it's, like, night and day with his voice. It's right. so, so different. And it's, like, is that supposed to be what the voice in his head? I mean, because it's kind of a first person kind of talking about himself, but not... It's not an omniscient narrator. The railroad company makes sure you don't forget you're coming to town on Christmas. It gives you the creeps, but that's all right. Everyone on the Goodwill kit, maybe they'll leave you alone. It's almost as if he has like a schizophrenic, right? you know, his voice in his head and then this other voice in his head type of thing. Uh, but it's still him. And it's one, it's one of those like weird, um, very discordant things that kind of like takes this film from just being a genre film and kind of elevates it in an interesting way. I think the entire film is elevated like that. There's so many yeah. weird choices in this film. Like there's like a line like, you think you're like a god, he appears on a rooftop, like a little tiny figure. Yeah. There's like a very long shot of him walking from far away and just coming towards the camera. Yeah. Jazz very I mean, long yeah. shot. It's so long. And you're kind yeah. of like, okay, why are you watching this? And then you realize it's like, oh, you're like, watching a real scene caught in, I guess, whatever, 1959, 1960, whenever they actually filmed this. I know it was released Mm -hmm. 61, Mm -hmm, but you're seeing, like, period-appropriate cars. You're seeing, like, a man, like, becoming larger and larger on the screen and becoming, like, covering Mm -hmm. the camera, almost like a cancer. There's so much going on. That Um, was a motif, too, wasn't it? The zero cut uh, into the camera on this one? Right. It It happened a couple times. Straight, yeah, exactly. Almost slam into the lens type of thing. Right. But but it's interesting, you know, and I, I think at the time the movie uh, played well at certain you know festivals. I, I think maybe it, it got it to Cannes or, or something kind of prestigious. I think it missed Cannes by it missed Cannes by two weeks. I watched a little bit of the um, 
mm-hmm. that documentary that came on Criterion Channel. It's basically, you know, the the, the lead actor is the director, right? I just wanted to point mm-hmm. if you get in case yeah. you guys didn't know. Yeah, uh, Alan Barron. Yeah, it's him in like 2006 walking around uh, spots in New York. But I think he missed Cannes by two weeks, possibly. Um, I, I, I mean, in terms of film festivals, I know that it was the Munich Film Festival in 1990. Okay. That really rediscovered it, and it was kind of considered a masterpiece after that. So. Well, well, but but even in its time, in, in 1961, it, it played at, at certain festivals and, and kind of had this appreciation with, you know, artistic-minded crowds or whatever. And there was, at that time, supposedly some critic or, or somebody told Alan Barron, and I think this is part of that documentary you're talking about, that, um, you know, this is the, like, Citizen Kane of its day. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that did and come up, yeah. It, it's an interesting comment because, you know, there's a lot of stuff where it's like, you know, there's a lot of artistry in how the movie is made. There's a lot of um, kind of pushing the genre forward, pushing the uh, way f- films were being made uh, forward where again the voiceover it's not like in a lot of film noirs or even um you know blade runner where it's like oh it's harrison ford we see on screen harrison ford's voice we hear then harrison ford's voiceover we also hear it's not clockwork orange where it's the same deal in this one we see this character we hear his voice and then we hear this other voice that's his head but it's something different yeah and because of that and because of like some of perhaps they were um you know, production considerations and the idea that limited budgets and, you know, kind of trying to get away with stealing shots and doing some of these things, doing those really, really long shots down the street because they're just kind of padding the movie, but, you know, filling it with voiceover that is kind of interesting and and engages you, but it's not, you know, directly like sort of moving the plot forward. And, you know, and if you took those things out, the movie would be about, you know, 40 minutes minutes. long. Yeah. Uh, But like... But because of those, like, not following the mold of genre films, right. you know, it, it, it has that auteur um, aspect that Citizen Kane did. Uh, but another way that it's kind of similar to Citizen Kane is that, like, uh, it wasn't appreciated in its time. Right, right. And, uh, you know, Alan Barron, uh, you know, had to go find some other way of uh, supporting himself because filmmaking uh, wasn't it. Director, actor, star. I mean, that's the other, you know directed yeah, by the star true. of the film. Yeah. Yeah. So did people just not not fully get it? Was this like too early for for audiences at the time, before its time kind of thing, or ahead of its time, I mean? Is that the case? I don't know what the distribution story was on this film. Um it feels like an indie, but was it Universal that picked it up? I feel like I saw yeah, Universal. I feel like I saw Universal logo at the end. I can't imagine Universal Pictures is like, "Oh man, can't wait to get out this Christmas downbeat film, you know?" I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's uh I think Bummer. I think it was yeah. Uh, made independently. Um, I I know it was shot for twenty thousand dollars, which I just did uh, the little calculator. That now that's just under two hundred thousand dollars. So that's the you know yeah. if you want to think about how much the film was made for, now it's a two hundred thousand dollar film, which is very low budget film. Uh, for sure. Oh yeah. Apparently the producer was the cinematographer. And oh uh, wow, yeah, yeah. Baron did all his own stunts, <laughs> including falling in the cold water. Which is, oh uh, that, that yeah. whole sequence was filmed uh, during a hurricane, Hurricane Donna. So wow. Interesting. Yeah, they just happened to be filming. That's why it's all windy. But I think it works because... Oh, it definitely this... works. That turbulent, yeah. Yes, yeah. Absolutely. And then it's out on the docks, I guess, yeah. of like Long Island. Um, it creates such a weird 
alien atmosphere for this film yeah. set in the city. Because um, everything else is so still and, yeah. you know, very static. Yeah. And metropolitan, too. Suddenly right, yeah. you're, like, among, like, like boats and, like, And weeds and, yeah. Yeah, and there's, he has a line about God working in mysterious ways. And it shows, this is after he's been shot, it shows that location, the wooden boards and the, the reeds. It has, mm-hmm. like, it's just empty without any people. And it almost implies that, like, God is there watching and witnessing this, like, empty landscape and this murder. It's a very uh, poetic moment in what should just be, like, a gangster film. It blew me away Th- this time. Yeah. That's what I mean. And Yeah, it, it, exactly. Like, it, it, it has this quality, most likely because of just some of the production limitations and whatever. And, like, you know, okay, we only have this one shot of him walking down the street. And that's going to be the thing that we play while we uh, have this voiceover. That's key. Or we have this really, really long shot on the train and, you know, we'll just kind of pad that out with talking about him being born. And and then, like you're saying, like, they had a cutaway. Maybe it was something like they had to, like, splice two things together and, uh, you know, they didn't have any other angles. So they cut to this, this moment. But, you know, because of decisions that maybe they wouldn't have made if they had a lot more money, it puts this poetic spin on it and the audience is forced to, you know, engage with it a little differently than they would something that you know was sort of fully financed like roadblock or whatever but also because it was done so artfully it kind of has this this extra level to it oh i mean he's literally talking about how everyone's alone in the world and thinking about his own loneliness and he's an orphan and he's watching orphans like line up outside right he didn't even realize he was staying next to one until like he looked out the window and he was like oh shit this is this reminds me of my childhood yeah Exactly. Um, it's so simple. Uh, yeah. That part's brilliant. Yeah, it really is. That's what I love about it. It's it's not trying to trick you. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And, and, and what's great is that there's this, there's all these trappings of it, you know, being a, a gangster movie or, you know, film noir or, you know, all these other moments of him doing his job that he kind of fell into, was forced into uh, type of thing. But as you see, like, like the thing he really, really wants is to not be in this and to, to go straight and to like, you know, uh, have a connection with people that he just like otherwise doesn't have because he's wandering around the streets like Travis Bickle, like stalking this guy. And he, he thinking can't these be crazy seen. thoughts. Part of his job is to not yeah. be noticed in these right, places that right, he goes, right? Right, right yeah. exactly. Like, How about his date with Lori? The worst date of all time? <laughs> yeah, 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 probably yeah. the worst. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah not good. Yeah. Obviously, uh, <laughs> Paul Schrader and Scorsese have seen this movie and for sure, you know, had to have incorporated it into Taxi Driver. Again, I'm thinking that maybe Fincher did too because most of the killer is actually very funny. Uh, he, he uses a lot of these maxims and like pumping your yourself up, like oh, uh, right. self help uh, type of things. Yeah, like hollow aphorisms. Yet he makes a lot of mistakes in the film. The whole film yeah. is about how. The killer, you know, Fassbender makes a mistake early in the film and spends the rest of the film atoning for it. But he still fucks up along the way. And, like, you're right. hearing this, like, voiceover of, like, you know, be precise. Take emotion out of it. And yet he still fucks up. So, like, in this Kind of like Travis Bickle, right? A little like Travis yeah. Bickle. And then here, he's even in the other apartment. And he hears the phone ring. And he looks at it. And, like, the narration's like, easy now. Cool it. You almost thought that yeah. was a call from Lori. This isn't your apartment. I mean, yeah. he's fucking up himself. Right. He's getting distracted yes. by his own emotions, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And maybe that's where that voice is coming from. Maybe that's, the, you know, the emotions uh, side of him that's trying to 
you know, there's like a different detached, disembodied yeah. person within him. Right, you know, that's, right. Yeah. They should do a, a Pixar Inside Out, but for, for this guy. <laughs> for, yeah. uh, what's it, Baby for, Boy Frankie Bono. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Baby Boy, yeah. I love yeah. That, that name. Great name, yeah. Baby Boy Frankie Bono. There's Baby Boy Frankie Bono, Big Ralph. Yeah. yeah. He's a gangster and he's a baby. It's exactly what Charles McGraw would have called him. Roadblock, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it is with Charles McGraw. He is one of the sweet babies. That Come on, this baby. What's his name? <laughs> baby. <laughs> oh, Big Ralph. I'm glad you pointed out Big Ralph. So uh, that Creepo. actor, uh, the great, very creepy. Uh, he's got to be a New York actor because he pops up in a couple other films that I think are New York based. So uh-huh. I've seen him in Shock Corridor, the, the Sam Fuller Film, where the Larry guy Tucker the, uh, is his name? Yeah, Larry Tucker. He's only in a couple films, but they're like major films. Um, he plays uh, in Shark Quarter. It's like a guy goes into a, a mental asylum to check in. He's not actually crazy. I think he's like a writer, but he right. can't actually get out and convince anyone once he's in. Uh, his roommate is this big guy that sings opera all the time. That's this guy. And then oh, a couple cool. of years later, he's in um, Advise and Consent, which is mm-hmm. uh, an Otto Preminger film. It's a it's a political film. That is the first Hollywood film to show a gay bar. It's uh, uh-huh. interesting moment, like historically. It also has Betty White. Advising Consent is a really really good film. Uh, Henry Fonda, I believe, Charles Lawton briefly. But yeah, this guy's in that too. So it's like you know he's, he's kind of like a John Cazale situation. He's not in many films, but the ones he right. is in are like huge, like <laughs> great. films. They're all very good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's very picky. I usually don't like birthday parties. You know, I figure like it's bad luck. I mean, like, why tempt fate? What are you driving at, fatty? You know, Frank, I may be fat over here, but I'm not fat up here. You know, I figure we're going to have to renegotiate the contract. Renegotiate this. Oh, I forgot to mention about Ralph right before he gets hit by the axe. And he goes into bed. He just leaves his apartment door open. I know. That's what well, lets a baby he was, he boy. He was fucked up, enter. so you know he, had, he was like, "I gotta sleep this off." Yeah. I'm sorry, I've never been so drunk, even when I was <laughs> living in New York, that I just get home and leave my apartment door wide open. Like, I get that he's yeah. fucked up. You're right. You're right. Yeah. yeah. But that's that's a new level. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> totally. Totally. Oh god. Hey, look here, huh? Look what Big Ralph got for Christmas. Isn't that nice? Yeah, isn't that nice? Did anyone think that the main guy, the director, looked a little bit like Lee Schreiber mixed with Johnny Cash? I that's a good actually, call. That, that's, that's interesting. I, the one that I always think of, and I've seen it in the movie, he looks like this, but also on the Criterion DVD cover or poster or whatever, he looks like the Hustler era George C. Scott to me. Oh, interesting. He looks like De Niro in Goodfellas to me. The way that De Niro smokes, <laughs> yeah. smokes yeah. darts, just yeah. like, yeah. look, you know, yeah, they smoke similarly. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And uh, yeah. I just also want to point out another uh, sort of coming out of the Red Scare 50s blacklist era. Uh, this was written uh, uncredited again by Waldo Salt, who uh, oh. did like Midnight Cowboy and Serpico, yeah. uh, Day of the Locust, which I haven't actually seen. Uh, but yeah, uh, famous, one. Of, I think one of the, the Hollywood 10 one of the people that like lost his career uh, in that decade. Right. So, yeah. Also, he was gonna murder uh, the big uh, Ralph, the big guy, with a, a fire axe. That is a brutal. So uh, fucking nuts, murder. right? Yeah, he hit, does hit him with it, right? And then he I think ends he up strangling. Shoulder. Yeah. But the, and then he ends up strangling him, right? Like, yeah. which is technically like when you think about it, 
even worse, right? Yeah. <laughs> You're feeling a person die, you know, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the way that Ralph goes out is pretty satisfying. I mean, the guy's a complete creepo from the beginning, you know. You obviously don't want him to win, and he's always like, <laughs> well, yeah, it's going to cost you a little bit. And then he finds out who the actual target was, and he's like, well, now it's going to cost you a little bit more. And it's like he yeah. kept doing this. He had that sweaty, greasy look on his face all the time, you know, that yeah. like upper lip. Upper lip sweat. Ugh, God. Such a piece of shit. Yeah. I, I love that character, though. Like, I, it was really neat to see him. And it was, I, I, I said it before, but I liked that, you know, Baby Boy meets all these different people along the way, along this journey he's on. And it's, but it's a very simple kind of from point A to point B kind of tale. Yeah. You even see him like have fun, like the the peanut pushing contest with the nose. Uh, right. Weird. Scene. What a fun game, huh? And that swinging sixties <laughs> party that they were at there. Like, let's just <laughs> roll some peanuts with our noses. Like, what the hell? Simpler times, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's funny too because like the um, okay, so the movie comes out in sixty one. Maybe it was shot in fifty nine, sixty somewhere in there. And it was definitely this like brackish film where it's like half in the world of classic 50s film noir and half in the world of you know the swinging 60s and it's and like, new hollywood and what's to it, come with the new, new hollywood, hollywood like the, the jazz soundtrack all these different things like the, mm. the avant-garde way of constructing it um all that stuff and it, it just like it it really has a little bit of both in there um i i'm glad that you guys love this film uh yeah. blast of silence i first saw God, in 2016 or so, maybe on TCM late one night, and then I saw it again streaming. Uh, when I started doing the noir page, actually, I was looking for Christmas noir, so oh, probably cool. 2019. And then I've just seen it a couple times since then. Um, it's uh, every time I watch it, I notice something new. Um, this time it made me realize just how kind of ominous Santa Claus himself is, you know? Uh-huh. A stranger <laughs> coming down the chimney. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of like 80s hack comedians that have done bits about how who's the stranger coming into your house. Yeah, like, yeah I'm sure it's like well tried. You know, <laughs> the, uh, the the story that that what's her name tells in Gremlins. Yeah, exactly. I was gonna say <laughs> Phoebe Cates. Yeah, it was snowing outside. The house was freezing, so I went to try to light up the fire, and that's when I noticed the smell. And speaking of scary Santa Clauses, uh, should we talk about the uh, silent partner? Yeah, I know that was a good lead into another scary Santa Claus uh, that Great really connection. creeped me out. Yeah. The silent partner from 1978. Yep. Yeah. Boom. Way better than I remember. This was an awesome, awesome movie. Yeah, this was yeah. great. I remember liking this movie, but when you suggested it, I was like, yeah, I liked it enough. And then I rewatched it, and I'm like, oh, this movie's so fucking good. Do you know what I meant? And I said before about things being pointless. I think so. Eating, sleeping, drinking, working at the bank. My life is just slipping away. If I don't grab every moment. What would you do with it? If you had it? The money, I mean. Well, I'm not sure. Uh, it's not that much, really. I mean, you just couldn't live on it forever, could you? What would you do? Well, I'd wait a while to make sure nobody suspected me. And then I'd go away somewhere. Far away. 
I suppose I'd use the money to buy myself another chance. It's just a daydream. A nice daydream. Would there be room in it for two? It's really yeah. good. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Elliot Gould and Christopher Plummer, and I had, you know, never seen Christopher Plummer this this young. I mean, I yeah. guess we saw Dreamscape, right? But that was Dreamscape, six uh, years after, maybe. Sound of Music, right? Uh, isn't any of that? I've never seen that movie. Though. <laughs> Von Trapps. <laughs> yeah. There's absolutely no no reason that I would I would see that movie. I don't think, unless we did it for the show. <laughs> he apparently hated he hated doing that movie. Um, okay. He, uh, yeah, the the story with that film, from what I remember. Uh, uh, but sound of music is very good for what it's worth. But I mean, it's also I know not, I I, I get it. I'm not I'm not talking shit. I just there's never been a reason for me to watch it. Now there is though. You know, we're doing these these movies that I've never seen before. You know, for so, sure. It it looks know. that's the thing about sound. I was actually just talking about this with Jordan. Um, it's not. It, it looks so fucking good. Like the Technicolor, whatever camera, sure. Like the lens there. It, it, it's it's one of the rare films that because it was such a hit, and then like sound of music. You mean? Yeah, sound of, and because yeah. it was like such a hit early on, like. Uh, there's a couple films like that. I guess maybe Gone with the Wind, Wizard of Oz, where it's like each stage of like physical media, they preserved it so well. So like you watch it, it looks like it was filmed. Yeah, that's that's my. I, I'm not even a huge fan of like the music of Sound of Music. It just looks really mm-hmm. good. Um, yeah. He hated that experience. He fought to play C- Captain Von Trapp, <laughs> and uh, a can't really sing, and oh, b. No didn't get along with Julie Andrews the whole time. So it's like, why oh, did you wow. fight for this like musical role, dude? <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, uh, th- that's the second uh, appearance of a Robert Wise movie we've talked about. I think uh, Blood of the Moon was another one. Oh, nice. Robert Wise, uh, pro- one of the most flexible directors of all Seriously, time. Seriously, yeah. yeah. And the editor of Citizen Kane. So that, there we go. E- even more connections to our conversation. Oh, nice. But yeah, Silent Partner, I, it's crazy because it, this is definitely a tax shelter era Toronto. 70s Canadian thriller. They got uh, an American star, that Elliot Gould. Uh, is this his wilderness years? I don't think he's as quite the same level of celebrity he might have been when like MASH. Uh, no, nope. uh, this this is after MASH. This is after yeah, MASH was early 70s, Bob and right? Carol and Ted and Alice. Right, right. I'm uh, saying, it's after I'm saying Long is, Goodbye. He's, he's kind of on the downswing. If I oh, oh, I see what you mean. Because he was such Perhaps. an ass. He was famously very difficult to work with, and I think that's why uh, he kind of stopped appearing in films for a little bit there. Interesting. And it was based on a novel, but like the the writer of the screenplay uh, would go on to be a little more famous, Curtis Hansen. Yeah. Uh, you know, the writer and director of. Uh, LA Confidential and Wonder Boys, Eight Mile, River Wild, uh, all kinds of stuff. By the way, did you guys see the River Wild reboot with uh, Leighton Meester and uh, Adam Brody? <laughs> did not. Uh, honestly, pretty good. Uh, really? It's on, wow. on Netflix. It's okay. it's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, only mentioning because no one talked about it. It came and went, and they they like produced <laughs> it. Uh, and my sister in law is a huge Gossip Girl fan, so I, yeah, it was a big big thing in our house. Um, uh, oh, awesome. A lot of nudity in this, like more than I thought, like more than I remember. Tons too. of boobs, yeah, a lot of yeah, boobs. Yeah. Four different uh, sequences. Um, are you guys big Simpsons fans, like '90s Simpsons fans? Totally. That's when I watched it. Yeah. Same with me. All right, uh, Troy McClure, his whole scandal with the fish. Uh-huh. Did, did anybody <laughs> think of that during the whole his obsession with the fish? Are you gay? Gay. I wish. If I were gay, there'd be no problem. No, what I have is a romantic abnormality. 
One so unbelievable that it must be hidden from the public at all costs. Hey, I thought you said Troy McClure was dead. No, what I said was he sleeps with the fishes. You see... Uh, Tony, please, no. I just ate a whole plate of dingamagoo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the other uh, oh, connection really thread to Blast of Silence is, again, like, trapped people. Uh, in Blast of Silence, you have, like, the guy with all the rat cages here. It's the aquariums. I th- oh, I think right. There is yeah. something about, like, Elliot Gould. This film especially, people are very trapped. I mean, like, just the idea of banks and bank tellers you have people like now behind like mm. a glass window and and there's all these aquariums and there's like these big high-rise buildings and toronto is very under construction i don't know what period in the city's history but like it seems that like every other shot has like a crane or a building being built so uh yeah. there's this like trapped feeling in this film um that kind of comes through not just from the fish but a lot of the other aspects Mm. Yeah, it, it, it's funny. I mean, earlier this year, I mean, uh, we did an episode about some Toronto thrillers, and uh, Jesse Hawkins came on to talk about that. A Toronto native uh, himself. Can exploitation is that the phrase? Uh, well, so so we did some of that, but you know, we did Cronenberg, uh, and then we did um, an Adam McGoyan film. But what he talked about was like how, <laughs> you know, in the late seventies, one of the movies we did was uh, Stone Cold Dead, and like it was still kind of. Uh, the Toronto he loved and misses, and how now Toronto has just been built into a very generic and ugly city is kind of how he put it. And it seems like what's happening in the background of The Silent Partner, which becomes a big plot point, where they're building that high-rise and all the little um, construction cranes and everything else, that this is the the sort of upswing of that uh, construction boom to turn it into you know, the Chipotle-verse and, like, the very generic city. You know, it's like, you know, everywhere is the same. Right. Everywhere is nowhere. But, you know, this is filmed in a time where it still had a lot of character uh, everywhere you went, like the the little Silver Dollar Club that they went to a couple times. Yeah. And... I think that that's still there because, like, Google is mapped it, really? it. I think it's still there. Or there's somewhere else in uh, Toronto now called the Silver Dollar Club. Um, I but, see. Yeah, yeah. It looked... The, the interior looked different, but the exterior I thought was the same. So uh, hopefully it has still a little bit of that charm left over. But we didn't have yeah. Elias Coteus uh, doing the emceeing at this club, you know, like right. in. Right, that's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Is it Exotica? Was that what that was called? Exotica, exactly. Yeah. That was a good uh, one. But man, this uh, movie is, is really interesting. I actually, thinking about it now, it's like, okay, only the first sort of half of the movie is set at Christmas. But then I guess you could say that for all three of these movies in this block. where it's They like, go into New Year's, right? They're, they, they, this they is a holiday start, block. Yeah. They start off at Christmas, and it becomes very crucial that it's at Christmas. And then it moves on to you know some aftermath uh, in, in all three of the movies. And in this one, it's like the, the er example of that, where it's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like every single bit of the opening has a plant in it it's like you know he takes a little carbon paper and draws up you know martini glass on it and he's like hey you want to go for a yeah drink yeah the yeah and then he pulls Mm -hmm. out another check slip and he sees i got a gun give me all the cash yeah and he's like what the hell is this and then like the very next day so he works at a bank in a mall and he comes back to the mall, grabs an orange Julius or whatever, and is just kind of like chilling before he, he has to head into work. Orange and, Julius uh, and a Cinnabon. And... <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And Annie Ann's pretzel. I was about to, and, or a uh, Wetzel. Wetzel's, uh, Wetzel's pretzel. Wetzel's, Wetzel's pretzel. Exactly. 
and uh, uh, is looking at the like um, the Salvation Army style Santa, and yeah. notices his sign has very distinctive looking G's that kind of look like a you know Soviet kind of like hammer and sickle. Yeah, like yeah, uh, exactly. Almost a symbol for a G. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it's very strange. And then he had a flashback to that that little carbon paper. Wasn't that really well done? You know, I, well I got. Done. I love all the process in this movie. I'm like, yeah. I, yep. Each of these movies, like, not all of them are are full on process movies. Like, there's some places where they skip the process part, uh, and kind of you know get on with it. And they even do it in this one too, where it's like you know we see a lot of process of him taking the body out of the apartment. And the, you don't the know really how it gets in the piece. cement. You don't, but then you, you don't know how it gets in the cement. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost a little there. far-fetched that it would get in there, <laughs> yeah. but y- yeah. you buy it, right? Like You're yeah. like, okay, fine. You know, yeah. Just because of, I, I think that's because of the exchange with Plummer right after that. You know, he's totally. like, they'll never know she's in there. Right. You know? <laughs> Great choice. <laughs> you're worse than I am. I like you. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, you know, it, given the other hour and 15 minutes before that, you saw him do all these things in, in such detail that you're yeah. like, okay, this guy's like, you know, clever enough to be able to to do this and think on his feet and, and come up with this thing. But what what I really love is like how he kind of outsmarts Christopher Palmer from the very, very beginning. Exactly. Yeah. And similar to the Charles McGraw character in Roadblock, he finds this dissatisfaction with the status quo. Right. And sees a, a yeah. way to uh, get himself a little, you know, parachute. Yep. And then he can take his vacation and do whatever he wanted to do. But, but how quick did he come up with this whole plan? You know, like it's between like the sequence you saw. Well, yeah. What was great was that like we saw two failed attempts. Well, I, he got the carbon slip on the first failed attempt. There was a second failed attempt with that, you know, kid and like bugging him like, hey, Santa, Santa, give me a yeah, carbine sure. double action shot uh, Red Ryder BB gun. Right. And he's like, <laughs> <laughs> you'll shoot your eye out, kid. And, and, and the woman's like, that's weird. Why do they hire a mall Santa who doesn't like kids? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like, you know, so he had two sort of failed robberies. So he's like had enough time to kind of cotton onto it. And then we see him get the whole plan and, and, and get it to work. And, you know, pull the bills. And he's like, ah, that's all the money I've got. Because he, he brought the lunchbox. He, he brought the whole thing. He, he was, like, ready he's to ready. rock and roll. Yeah. And then Christopher Plummer gets so frustrated or whatever. And he's like, put it in there, you son of a bitch, or whatever he says. <laughs> Quit fucking around. And then he gets caught and has to run away. When and he runs away, by the way, that's Santa shooting at people in a mall running yes. up an escalator. And yes. the security guard shooting back at him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the yeah. There's a hundred people out there. It's a fantastic scene. It's like <laughs> yeah, such it's a great awesome. Christmas noir moment. Santa shooting, yeah. yeah. But to back up a second there, though, he runs because Elliot Gould, he hit the silent alarm, but he didn't hit it until the bills were out. Like he planned out enough of the money being taken out of the till right. and into the box. So you, it was already, he was scheming this whole time. So that it would be something he would be... Arrested for it, exactly. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I also yeah. really like that method that the bill triggers uh, the alarm. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I've seen that in a film before. Um, I liked how they described it, too. They really got into the science. Yeah. There's a metal coil that's attached <laughs> yeah, to this. Yeah. And one that's, step that's makes so a connection. Many, so many 70s films are like that, <laughs> where it's just like an unnecessary... It's probably new tech or something, you know? They had to yeah. explain it to the audience, yeah. I mean, there's enough to, like, figure it out as you're watching it, but yeah. it was it was a good place to be like, okay, let's explain exactly what this was. Yeah, yeah. 
Because it does come back at the end. I mean, he does, it does use come that back at the same. End. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, I love how he gets Christopher Plummer at the end. Uh, oh, and just man. essentially, it's very smart. It's just like making it clear to the public that there's a robbery going on. Is uh, it's almost like the most dumb baseline decision that anyone in that situation would do, uh, and almost very unexpected because you think he's so in cahoots and he's so has the pressure on him. It's like, no, this is still a robbery. I could still get you in trouble by, uh, you know, pointing this out publicly. It's such a right. simple solution. Um, have you guys seen the apartment? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the idea of him being in love with someone at work who's yeah. Sleeping with a married boss. That yeah, yeah. He's also in the apartment. It's like, that's why it's the apartment. He's like lending his own apartment for his boss to have these affairs, right? Right. But he's in love with that girl that the boss is sleeping with. Um, and this, it's like, he's lending his time and body as a date for his boss to be able to carry on with these affairs. So I just, I, I love that, that one little connection. Um, little Billy Wilder and the, yeah. the schmuckness. He like, yeah, the boss makes him take his side piece to his own Christmas party at his house right. to meet yeah. his wife and family. It's right, like, Jesus, right. man, don't you want to yeah. distance yourself a little bit? Seriously. Play the game. <laughs> well, what's funny about that is just how, I don't know, all, all that stuff too, it's like it It not only did the like thriller and the process so well, but it all the interpersonal shit uh, really, really, um, you know, was working on all levels for me. Like the John Candy and uh, the the sort of new chick who kept wearing those like funny yeah. t shirts and like and he's like she got tits up to here and like that that creepy oh, guy uh, bankers do it with interest was that exactly yeah, yeah yeah again very 70s shirt too yeah. and, and then it's like you know uh, we see the sort of John Candy relationship kind of happening in the background but you're you're following it and they're like oh is that a thing now yeah I guess it's a thing and then there's that that uh, other creepy guy at the, the the bank he's like oh so you could try anything once and he's, he's talking to the, the girl <laughs> yeah, and like he's very creepy and, and then later we see them up in the the bathroom now so much time had passed between that Christmas party and John candy getting married with her being pregnant that we weren't supposed to think it was the other guy's baby, were we? I thought so, because didn't Elliot Gould walk in on her getting railed by that guy in the bathroom at the, well, at the, the holiday park? It was, it was getting started. I think that it implies... It implies my... that they, they, they took it all the way, but yeah. uh, I mean, it, it felt like so much time had passed that... I'm not sure. It, it would, I, yeah, I didn't I get the idea that that much time had passed. I thought it was still the holiday season. Yeah, that's how I felt too. Um, which yeah. also makes no sense, because she was like brand new, and John Candy married her like a week later. Um, yeah. but just yeah, a very 70s thing to do totally um, I did get the sense between that other guy looking at Elliot Gold because Elliot Gold's the one that walked in on them like he's the only one that knows about the affair there's a lot of like weird eye play going on it's not very clear but I think it might be that other guy's kid is the impl- I think that's mm-hmm. the joke there that's what I got out of that yeah. Yeah. That's what, yeah that's what I'm reading it doesn't really line up I mean it it, it totally could have been yeah I, I guess it, it doesn't fully matter but it, it was interesting that like that that there was that reading of it as well but but what, what I really loved about the interpersonal stuff was the complicated relationship between the Ellie Gould character and the Susanna York character uh, Miles and Julie and it seemed like they did have an attraction for one another and they they did want to kind of go for it and they kept getting cock blocked by Christopher Plummer. Like he kept like calling and like and fucking it up. And like, you know, there's that uh, later on, you know, 
he like kisses her right outside to try and make sure that uh, yeah. Elaine can can uh, in disguise can get out and she would have recognized right. her. She you know exactly. The, yeah. My favorite moment of the movie is at the wedding, and it's between Susan York and and Elliot Gold. It's when yeah. he he receives that really kind of stupid card with like the right, the, the, right. Feet, the moaning <laughs> sounds. <laughs> yeah, and the woman in the bikini. Um, and she asks is uh, about his date. Is she the one that sent you the card? And he has like his face in his hands. And yeah. he just like shakes like, his nope. head. And it's the way he. And she's s- like, "Wow, good for you." Yes, yeah. her <laughs> surprise of like, "Oh yeah. wow, really? like there's more to you than I thought." That right. is, and he's still smiling with his face in his hands. That is such a good. Uh, that's also why I like Elliot Gould. Uh, he's very cool and laid back sometimes. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I love that. Exchange. Well, it, it, and and that moment in, in particular, I feel like it was the linchpin that kind of helped that ending of them getting together work 100 because yeah. he's no longer this i mean he collects fish he has kind of right boring exactly he, he's, he's a very boring um he's very honest joe and like very much chess so, yeah. and yeah chess, really, yeah 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 um he, he's like yeah he has nothing going on exactly in his life and and you know he he's not worth uh pursuing and he's weird and he keeps uh you know, uh, you know, stopping it right before they're about to uh, do the deed. That and, I actually thought was a good call because they're both fucked up, and she was a coworker. And I was like, that that uh-huh. moment's aged actually pretty well for 2023. <laughs> ah, there you go. Yeah, maybe, yeah. That's. Yeah. I'm just. I was like watching that. I was like, that's really. I mean, 1978. I don't know how many other men would have done that, but uh, yeah. yeah. Well, but but he had to deal with Christopher Plummer, and uh, you know, had to shoo her away to make sure his his crime wasn't uh, discovered. Right. But we, yeah. we should probably talk about Christopher Plummer's character in this uh, a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You know, you're kind of remarkable, you know. that I, I don't know how you managed to pull it off. Well, I guess you're going to have to tell me one of these days. But we uh, we worked it together, didn't we? I mean, we, we ran the same risks, didn't we? We're, uh, we're partners. I'm going to call the police. Now, what are you going to tell them? You see this? Oh, come on. You don't think I'm going to shoot you from here, do you? He was an he was an odd cat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> his like fake eyelashes, his fingernails. Was yeah, was he thing. kind of was he like an early like gender fluid type? Foppish. I get I definitely get foppish is yeah. the word I was keep coming back to even though you don't ever see him with men in this film i do Mm -hmm. get the sense that he's very a la carte open right um what also to me is the coded moment is when he takes off the santa outfit and he's wearing that like fishnet shirt that like yeah it's like like chain mail yeah 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 uh and his uh yeah it's like the bad guy from commando haven't seen Commander. Exactly. So yeah, the, the bad guy in Commando's got the same kind of thing on, like this like mesh. Remember shirt, what I like told it, you I was gonna kill you last? I, I lied. lied. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. You should see that one. Uh, I that's fine. Do too. Yeah, it's definitely not great. But d- his name's Arthur Reichel. He's this awful person in this, right? Like he seems to have some sort of like a he's got like a group with him with this um other French girl. Well, she's Canadian, right? Um what was her well, name? I, I thought, well, she said she was from France, but, but yeah, maybe she was Canadian. I don't know. But she has been working with him and Elliot yeah. Gould had her figured out from, from the get-go. Like, right. again, it was one of those things where we saw Elliot Gould's like, no, I, I'm, I'm ahead of you, Reichel. Like, it, I know what you're Exactly. Doing. Like, that's what 
was so great about the entire interplay the entire time. It's like, you know, how yeah. well the Elliot Gould character was able to sort of anticipate these moves and because of be the chess, to, right? To sort like of counter them. Like a, a chess game. Yeah, almost. And, and it's like he was just, you know, a worthy fucking adversary, as they yeah. say. And it was a little of the dynamic you get in heat between, you know, yeah. uh, Vincent and, and Macaulay. They're watching us right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and like, you know, the, the, how, how each one of them kind of respects the other in a certain way, yeah. even though they're like pitted against one another. Nemesis. Nemesis. And, you know, you definitely get multiple times where Christopher Palmer really has that a- admiration for him. Mm-hmm. You get that feeling that, that there is some sort of attraction maybe. In, Absolutely. Yeah. Both in, in the game plane because, you know, his... A way of expressing, you know, his, his sexuality is also very violent, and but he he enjoys the game part of it. He enjoys how well Elliot Gould has been able to play him, and being able to like parry his every sort of move, including killing the French woman in the craziest, Horribly. most horror Horribly scene, shit, like yeah. a, a, a full on giallo scene. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there's like, no, there's no violence. Real. I mean, there's some violence, but there's really no gore and blood in this movie. And then all of a sudden, they hit you over the neck <laughs> with a huge one, and it's a decapitation they go for. You know, like it's it's full it, fledged. And it, it it wasn't like oh, it, it was a, a fast accident no. no he like takes her head and saws it back it, and forth that's like, the part her on neck the broken, across on the, the broken, broken aquarium, glass right like it's like a lot of things that were <laughs> yeah. yeah it's just wow unbelievable <laughs> all in the service of his weirdness <laughs> right. there's also the, the knife through the fish against the wall i think until her yeah. murder that's probably as far as it goes and you're like oh okay that's probably as bad as it gets but well he, no. he early on in, the, in like the bathhouse he beat the shit out of that woman and like you know yeah stepped on her face oh and you're right yes kind of oh my stuff, god like, yeah that was really rough to watch yeah that was pretty pretty fucked up yeah but like all those guys were just like oh you you went too far this time <laughs> this time how <laughs> yeah, many times exactly. how many times do you do this totally right and I do want right. to point out that, like, there's a huge history of queer-coded villains in Hollywood. I mean, Hitchcock, sure. so many Hitchcock films, Rope and North by Northwest. And then even up to, like, Ursula and the Little Mermaid. Even Psycho, Jafar. in a way. I mean, Psycho, Psycho yeah, as well, yeah. Yeah, yeah Rope. Um, yeah, I mean, so this isn't anything really too new by making him a train. little bit um, flexible in his uh, sexuality. But Christopher Plummer plays it so well. That you yeah. feel like this is like could be like a real person, like um, totally. I mean, he, he plays it with, with such um, mm. complexity, and you know, it's like he he just has um, almost the sort of Max Shrek, uh, you know, fingers that he does sometimes. I think he has and, long like, fingernails too, right? <laughs> and I mean, he got those funky fingernails add, to add to it, yeah. And you know, his his crazy eyelashes. I mean, he just like he has so much going on there, and and you can just feel the excitement and almost sexual energy when he's on the phone with with elliot Gould his eyes and, in the mailbox are yeah. so fucking scary i don't yes, know yes. why when yeah he poked his head through yeah exactly. that scared the hell out of me when it just flicks open and you, you just see him looking through i was like wow man yeah. this there's little moments that were really really terrifying in this and Absolutely. you're right he was he was an absolute monster and that's why and uh, one that you could uh, you could find in reality yeah like totally. that could be yeah. a real yeah yeah you read about that like you know all the time, like, you know, some sexual crimes associated with a murder. Um, this is also based on a Danish uh, uh, novel and film. I don't know if you guys mm-hmm. knew that. 
Uh, think of a number. Think of a number. Uh, B.B. Anderson is in the original film. She She's in a lot of uh, Ingmar Bergman films. Um, but uh, yeah, I just wanted to point that out. You know, the, you know, the story did kind of come from somewhere. Um, yeah, I, it was so much better rewatching it this time. And it's just so subtle and has these like weird moments. And even the way he's like staring at him in the police lineup. Christopher Plummer yes. is so fucking creepy in this film. Yeah, no, he, he is really, really good. I, I, like everyone's great in it. I mean, just e- even the smaller parts or whatever. But Christopher Plummer has this real standout performance. Oh in this yeah, and, and just you know, he is sort of fully committed and a fully sort of realized character. Does Christopher Plummer um, have the uh, win the award for like best longevity or like what's the word for it? Where like. Yeah, you you become lifetime like, achievement award. Yeah, like he got like way more famous as he got older. But then like right, later in his right. career, so I don't know if it's because of beginners or around beginners. But there's like up, and then girl with the dragon tattoo, and then knives out. Uh, a little bit before that, uh, there's beautiful mind, um, the insider. I the mean, insider, like, he's, he's incredible in that. He's yeah, like the he's late nineties onwards. He's just like at this like plateau that he just was not for a lot of the seventies and eighties. He was amazing in a very small role uh, but very memorable role in 12 monkeys if you remember him in that yeah 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 he the doctor the the yeah he was like uh, yeah psychiatrist he he was the the guy at the sort of lab where the other guy ends up kind of leaking the biological virus that that ended up you know destroying the world yeah. yeah great actor uh yeah yeah i just anything he's in i kind of lean in at this point yeah because he's gonna surprise me um, but I, I, you know, yeah, I, I'm on the same page as you, uh, Alex. I, I think the silent partner, this is the second time I've seen it and it, it was even better this time around. It was like just every little detail. And I, and I forgot because there's so many, it's like so chock full of details. Like I, there's so many, I, I end up forgetting, you know, just like when he like steals the van, the, the, the sort of produce van and frames Christopher Plummer with it to like fuck with him. And like, you know, it's right. like get him out of the way he just parks it in front of his place right like right. To, yeah and then calls yeah, the yeah, cop yeah. and he's like why would i bark this in front of my place yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was funny he was getting taken why the hell would i do something yeah, like that? that was great <laughs> and, and and then you know what i forgot what the damn twist was with the french woman i was like where is this going and then two scenes before that so i was like oh wouldn't it be crazy if if she was setting up the whole time and then he like sees the scar on her leg or her butt or whatever it was and and then he puts it together and he, he pulls the band-aid off there. And I was like, shit, that's right. She was. She actually was. They, it, yeah. it went the way that I I was really hoping it would. The scar should have been the, as an audience member, I totally didn't, I, I forgot about the twist as well. The scar should have been like the link, you know. Exactly. And, it, yeah. and, and then it's like her scene where she um, puts the safety deposit key on the little chessboard and then like gets the shit kicked out of her. That's the end of her after that, right? That, that and, was... you know, it, yeah. I don't think it was supposed to uh, kind of end up that way, but it kind of escalated into it. And then he just, you know, lost himself in his rage, I guess, and, you know, sawed her head completely off. And, you know, put it, put himself in a position where maybe Elliot Gould was just going to go to jail for murder. <laughs> and it was like... Yeah. But, but Gould, like, found a way out of it. And, like, the Hitchcock-like set piece of him trying to take the body in the rug out the fire escape that they had like a kind of set up earlier when he gets away from Christopher Plummer that way. The whole thing was, was done so well. And it's like, the, there's that newspaper 
boy is like, what the fuck? <laughs> he yeah. trips over the thing. <laughs> he's hanging from the side. Um, yeah, and he's hanging no, from the uh, side. No, I love all of that. Um, yeah, the uh, the body and the rug. At first, I was like, isn't he going to make it so much worse by like messing with a crime scene? Um, uh, <laughs> and then, like, wouldn't getting rid of the body implicate him, like, make it look like he did it? Uh, it's definitely a risky move, yeah. <laughs> very risky move. Uh, apparently, that murder was even controversial at the time. It was like, kind of, you know, in 1978, it was like, whoa, whoa, you know, yeah. beheaded. Uh, it's nasty. Aquarium yeah. glass. And then the fact that he leaves the head in the glass, in the, the yeah. tank, too, you know. Right. Uh, Christopher Plummer, that is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, this one is less uh, French for black uh, and more Italian for yellow. Because it was definitely, ah. uh, <laughs> definitely a little more giallo than uh, noir than to noir. giallo. Yeah, one hundred percent. I also like stories where when someone is in a dramatic, traumatic situation and it gets like news coverage, when suddenly they're like the focus of attention to everyone. Yes, everyone wants yeah. to talk to him at the party. He's very popular at work all of a sudden. Um, that's just very true to life. You know, if someone's like suddenly on the news or involved in like a. I don't know, like a hit and run where there was a fatality or something, and you know them. You're like, all you want to do is talk to them about that situation. Um, right. Yeah. So I liked, I liked that about this film, uh, what he's going through in that. And it, and it would be hard for him not to be on the news, but it was one of those things where it was like, don't be on the news. To, you know, like, quit your job immediately. Go somewhere else. And, of course, everyone in the film has seen it. <laughs> you know, that yeah. classic film thing of if there's one thing on the news, all the key characters had to have seen it at the exact same time, you know. Totally, uh, totally. Yeah, yeah, old kind of movie logic. But, you know, it, it, you know, even in the logic of this film, it, it works so well because it was a huge, huge event. There's a shootout in a mall with a Santa over a bank robbery. And, you know, of course it's going to be on the news and, of course, people are going to watch that. Oh, he's in drag at the end, too, when he dies. He tries yeah. to do the final. Oh, right, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's another... He's like, it was the bank's money. Well, who the hell's money do you think it was going to be? <laughs> <laughs> Merry Christmas, Louise. Merry Christmas, Louise. Well, he's here. I'll give you three guesses what we've been talking about. We want to hear the whole story. After we can promise to drop the subject. Great, uh, great trilogy, y'all. I, uh, I thought that this was uh, one of the strongest blocks that we talked about. And uh, thank you, Jeremy, for kind of insisting that they all be bangers. Because, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I wanted to thank you both for that because I think that part of the conversation on that text thread was uh, we want all bangers, and I think we got it with this. Yeah. There's... There's not a wasted minute in this block. Um, And, you know, these movies, some of them are kind of short. Hour and 17, I think, for some of them. But still, they they moved well, and they had a lot of information and cool shit packed into, you know, not a lot of time, which, you know, maybe movies should take a note from that today and uh, Uh make us in the theater for three and a half hours. 100%. I like a a short movie, you know, 90 minutes. Bring back the 90-minute movie. Yeah. Oh, one last thing I just want to mention. Uh, Jeremy, we almost covered repeat performance. Uh, if anybody oh, yeah. listening hasn't seen that, uh, good little haunting noir. It's also kind of New Year's Eve noir. Uh, that's worth checking out if you have Criterion. Repeat performance also was like not kind of reclaimed or even shown on TCM until like the last couple of years. It kind of like has slipped through the yeah, cracks it, of history. It was so. like fully lost, I think, until they restored it recently, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So... Uh, just want to shout that out. Um, and then there's another Peter Cushing uh, Christmas movie, um, Cash on Demand. That's a Hammer film. Um, oh. Uh, yeah, another sort of, uh, It's a, 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 again, also set at a bank. 
um, with a with a holdup uh, on Christmas time. So uh, oh, if you cool. like Silent Partner, you might like Cash on Demand, and definitely check out Repeat Performance. Uh, all that that whole Criterion Christmas collection is, is pretty solid uh, in general. And remember, when you sign up for the Criterion Channel, use the code <laughs> Grindhouse Institute. God, I wish <laughs> we had that. That would be great, right? Yeah, I wish. Yeah. Um, Criterion, but, call us. Yeah, if you're listening out there, Criterion people, we'll take a sponsor. Mubi is the one that seems, Mubi seems to sponsor oh, so yeah. many podcasts, like so many yeah. film podcasts I listen to. So. Um, Interesting. Guys, thank you so much for uh, inviting me back to talk about these uh, fantastic films. No, thank films. you. Would yeah. you like to plug anything? Um, I know we've done this before several times, but you know, I'd love for you to plug your your you know only film noir and stuff. But anything else you got going on? Hell yeah! Uh, check out my writing at the Hard Times. Uh, you know, published pretty regularly there uh, via the good grace of the editors. So uh, yeah, Alex Vlahov, uh, the Hard Times have a couple uh, headlines articles coming out uh, pretty soon, and uh, only film noir on Instagram, and uh, that's how you can find me. Fantastic! Awesome. Thank you very much for joining again. Yeah, of course. Well, Alex, it was a blast uh, as always, always. and uh, it was and, a blast of silence. Back. It was a blast of silence. As it was always. a blast of silent partner. It was uh, <laughs> yeah. really good to see. You. <laughs> <laughs> really glad we could do exactly. this again, guys. Uh, glad there weren't any roadblocks in our way. Yeah, I guess we didn't hit any roadblocks. I wanted to fit it in. You did it. You did it effortlessly. <laughs> that was perfect. <laughs> yeah. Thanks again. Thank you. Christmas, All right, next time we'll be going back to our one movie show format with the Midnight Movie. Uh, we're going to be doing a newer film with this. That's usually our thing, right? Our Midnight Movie is yeah. usually a not one of our 1950s or 1930s yeah. <laughs> uh, films that we usually do. Uh, but this one's very new, so good on us. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No One Will Save You from 2023. Very excited Woo. about this. This ended up on... I was listening to a horror podcast yesterday driving home from work, and this was on both of the top 10 of 2023 horror films. Um, oh, really? Or would have been on the other person's head if they not classified it fully as sci-fi. That was the, the argument. But it would have been on there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess we'll have to have that argument, too. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, looking forward to it. It's uh, it's going to be an exciting film that, uh, I don't know, It it's gotten... A, a certain maybe buzz on the internet but i just feel like it it didn't have as much um notoriety as it would have if uh it wasn't straight to streaming these underseen great films now you know yeah. it, it really is it sucks i mean it's it's great that they're easily available but not everyone is seeing them and the marketing is so different and non-existent in many in- instances and it's really yeah. a shame i've heard nothing but good things about this one yeah <laughs> we'll have to see if it holds up though <laughs> yeah that's true yeah but yeah no one will save you <laughs> not a single person <laughs> all right thank you so much for listening please make sure to subscribe and follow us on all the podcasts and social platforms at the grindhouse institute and if you really want to give us a boost check us out on apple podcasts and leave us a rating and review it helps us to get noticed thanks so much everybody we'll be back next time ciao Get them? Oh, yes. Will I get them? Yes. Percy. Both of us? Both of them? Mom, Santa's going to give me everything I want. He's got my toys in his pocket. I don't think so, dear. Imagine. A Santa Claus that doesn't seem to like children. Merry Christmas.